Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. How many of you are in the Christmas spirit? All right, three of you. All right, very good. Very good. We've got 23 days, 22 days, so uh, I guess start stirring the pot, stirring up the waters. Christmas is coming, and uh, we had a pretty small, low day on our bus today, and I was trying to tell the story, and the kids were sleeping on the way, and that was kind of dis- dis- depressing. I'm thinking, I hope that's not an omen of what's to come in the auditorium. So it does help me if you fake like you're listening, all right? So if you could do that, that'd be a wonderful thing, but hopefully we can learn something from God's Word this morning. I'm glad to be here. Pray for Pastor Mitchell. He's with our college ensemble in a couple churches in Iowa and Wisconsin, so pray for them. And so you have to put up with me this morning, so I apologize beforehand. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless as we look at his word this morning. <clears throat> Lord, we come to your house today. I thank you for those that have made the effort to come. I pray that you would just help them to be blessed to hear from you this morning. Be a, really a, a waste of their time. If they heard a message from me, it really wouldn't help them in their lives. But I pray that if they would take this uh, from your word, it would help them. It would give them the, uh, the sustenance, sustenance they need for this week, for maybe trials or issues that may come up. So I pray that you use our time together. Bless the kids down in the other building, the different classes that are going on. Bless the rally that's going on there with the third through sixth graders. Give them a good time together as well. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you like getting a good deal? All right, that kind of goes without saying. I, I got to ask this. How many of you were out shopping on Black Friday? Frankie, were you out shopping on Black Friday? He was, I, 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 I should have known it. I, I saw that look like, should I raise my hand? I, I already knew it. Um, I didn't go shopping on Black Friday, all right? Um, so you ask different people, that's better to shop online, blah, blah, blah. But I think at the end of the day, we're all looking for a good deal. If Brother Forgus, you know, he, he works over at the car dealership. If he came in next Sunday morning, he says, all right, next week, we've got good deals, free cars for all. Buy one, get one free. I know that ain't happening. <laughs> but I think he'd probably have a wave of people going to check out what's happening over there at Bozak because all of us are looking for good deals. The advertisements are already bombarding us, right? You know, it's like, all right, can we just go get what we want? I actually don't like shopping at all. I might go about three times a year. Usually that's because we're having guests. We forget the last two things that my wife needs in the kitchen. I run to the store and get those, or it's either that, or I've got to clean the bathroom last minute, and I'd rather go shopping. So I'd be, uh, I'm the husband of the year at that moment. <laughs> um, but, but some might come back and say, I went on vacation, and we did this, and we had a good deal. And us that are listening in are thinking, hmm, I wonder. And so when they clear out, we go right to the computer and start looking to see if we can get a good deal, the same deal, or... I know how we are, if we can get a better deal. And so we're kind of programmed to vacations, vehicles, whatever the case may be. But uh, I'm really, like I said, I'm the type of person, I want to get something from the store, I just want to go get it. That's just, I don't have time to look at all the coupons and so forth. Now, it's pretty rare that you're going to get anything for free, right? You kind of look back and say, man, it'd be really nice if it was free. You go to the store and they were just handing you things. Obviously, we know that's not the case. But there's very little in life that is free, um, but I'll say this, if it doesn't cost you very much, it's probably not worth very much. Would you, would you agree with that? So I happened to be listening into a conversation, if it was last night or the night before at our house, and the topic of engagement rings came up. 
I won't tell you who was talking about it, Titus. Um, but we were talking about engagement rings. And I think he had the, uh, he was asking the question, like, how much do those type of things cost? And I'm just kind of sitting in the, on the side listening. And I believe my wife made the comment. She said, if you're going to get a good engagement ring, it's going to cost, she's back there. Did you say $5,000? She said $5,000. Well, right then I started squirming. Because I can tell you this. I didn't pay $5,000 for the engagement ring I gave her 20-some years ago. So I'm like, I am loser of the year. <laughs> uh, but but there's, there's people that have these monster rocks on their finger, and they're going around flashing that around. Well, it's embarrassing to me because don't look at my wife's finger. But truth of the matter is, we look and we say, if, if somebody gets you that Christmas gift, you kind of know when it breaks on the way out of the package, out of the box, they probably ventured into Dollar Tree, Family Dollar, Dollar General, and did that great thought-provoking thing. What should I get? They probably prayed over it. No, I'm pro you probably know they didn't put a whole lot of thought into it because it doesn't cost very much. Now, I'm here to say that probably the greatest thing that came to this earth was salvation and it was nothing but free. Amen. I can't explain it, but I will say this. That gift doesn't cost us anything, but it cost our Heavenly Father a great deal. The Bible says this, Peter writes this, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation of your uh, tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. He makes it clear, our salvation cannot be bought by us. It was purchased by the precious blood of Christ. I'm here to remind you that, praise the Lord, our salvation is free. It's a free gift, the best deal ever. And it blows my mind when you go to somebody and say, hey, do you want to know you're going to heaven? Are you, are you sure you're going to heaven? And they'll say something like this, well, yeah, I'd like to know. And you start to tell them about salvation, and you tell them it's free, and it's almost like they're not interested. But I hope you're here today and you've trusted, you've accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But to put it in the topic of today, I will say this. To become a Christian is free. But to be a Christian is going to cost you something. And this is where, I guess after... Working with people in ministry for 25 to 30 years, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I get tired of people who will come and say, oh, Brother Amos, uh, I just want to get my life back together. And, and I, I know I'm struggling here, and I know I'm not doing this. And, and I'll, I'll start to go through the list. Well, you need to start reading your Bible. You need to start being faithful to church. You need to start tithing. And it's almost like you see this wall go up. Because what they want is they want this free pass. To say, well, if you hand me my Christianity, then I'll live that way. I'm here to say this. If you don't get anything this morning, get this. If you're going to live a life for Christ, it's going to cost you something. Let me say that again. If you're going to live a life that is, uh, is for Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. I probably am going to overdo this a little bit, but if you want to have somebody that plays good music... It's going to cost. I don't know, about seven or eight years ago, we had this big tree back here, which I guess we're not going to see this year, right? About 18-foot tree. And if I remember right, hanging on that Christmas tree was a, a cello about yay big. Mrs. G, you know where I'm going with this, right? And I don't know how this transpired, but somehow Mrs. Gachette went to my wife 
And she said, would your daughter, Karis, be interested in taking cello lessons? And I thought, okay, I'm not really a music guy. I'm not really a string guy, but here's a cello. It's free. (laughs) I think that must be something telling me yes. And so Karis and Mrs. G started on this path of cello. And and some rules popped up pretty quickly in the Ramos household. Because when I heard that cello for the first time, I'm thinking, what in the world? And so we made some rules, all right? Uh, in the house, when dad's home, the cello is not allowed to be played. And it moves over across the hall. We live in the dormitory. There's a place called the recreation room, and that's where Karis went. So all the girls that had detention and get demerits, they have to listen to Karis play the toy cello. This is a good deal. I like this. So she started this, and, and, and I guess, coming from her teacher, she said, I don't know how long it took, but she says, you know, she's really, she's really progressing. I'm thinking, okay, all right, I got this. And so I, I don't know, then it was uh, a year or two later, I don't, she says, I think she's ready for the next step. Would it be right to say half? Okay, so... They started conspiring together, and they started looking and saying, I think Karis is ready to get the half cello. And so my question was, how much is this going to cost? And so they told me, oh, man, okay, let's do it. And it actually didn't sound, it sounded, I don't know what it sounds like, I'm just, I'm just guessing here. But it sounded a little bit, bit better, and I said, all right, thank you, Mrs. G, you're doing a great job. And so we got the half, and we progressed, and I don't know when it was, maybe a year or two ago at Christmas or a birthday, uh, she came to my wife again, they conspired together, and they got, now I think it's a three-quarter. And the thing is bigger than me. I mean, Karis walks around like Pilgrim's Progress, you know, she's got this thing. And, and, and I remember the question was, how much is this going to cost? And when they began to say, well, if you get this and this and this, it's going to be like, oh, oh, oh. And so my wife went online and started searching and finding good deals and so forth. And we have what she has now. And actually, it's kind of enjoyable. But I will say this. That's been a process of seven or eight years. There have been times where Mrs. G or my wife, when other girls are out rollerblading or out on the property, they will say something like this. No, 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 no. You got to go practice. Oh, mom. Now, I say all of that because a lot of people want good music. They want their kids to play the piano. They want their kids to improve. And when you start talking lessons, when you start talking practice time, when you start raising the price of this and getting a better brand, we understand that there's going to be a cost. And we could go down the list with sports. Everybody wants to be the guy that shoots the winning three at the end of the game, but they also don't understand you need to get in the gym and shoot 50 free throws, 100 free throws, 100 three-pointers, and you got to shoot and shoot and shoot, and you got to get in shape, and you got to do push-ups and sprints. But everybody wants to be on the court with game time, but if you're going to be a good athlete, you understand there's going to be a cost. So why is it that we think sometimes living the life for Christ ought to be simple? It ought to be welfare mentality. If you give it to me, I'll do it. No, 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 no. Jesus makes it clear. If you're going ha- to be one of my disciples, 
You're going to have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your, and, your, and your brethren and so forth. If you're going to be my disciple, because he's making it clear, if you're going to live a life for Christ, it's going to cost us something. 2 Samuel 24, we're there. The entire chapter is our text, but I will move quickly. I told the junior church teachers I will be done before noon, so throw something at me if I'm not. Point number one is, we'll call it the disobedience of the king. That almost sounds weird when you hear the king disobeyed, but I think all of us understand, no matter how high of a position you are, we are all under Almighty God. So we see in verses 1 and following, and if you want to do a study, do a little comparing between this text and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. I'm not going to go there. It's a little bit of controversy on this text, but we're just going to focus on the latter part of the chapter. But verse number 1, the Bible says this, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go, number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba. Let me stop for a moment. A lot of times when you read the Old Testament specifically, you'll see that phrase. I don't think I really understood it until I went to Israel, and one of our stops was in the city of Dan. And so when you look at the nation of Israel, you see Dan at the north, and then you'll see at the south, all the way at the bottom, is the land of Beersheba, or the area of Beersheba. So David told his, his leader, Joab, he says, I want you to number the people from Dan in the north all the way to Beersheba in the south. I want a number of all of my men. That's what he tells them to do. And it says, and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. Verse 3. And Joab said unto the king, now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? So, I'm not going to take time to go back to other texts, but it seems to indicate when kings came to the throne that God cautioned his leaders to not number the people. You'll see sometimes when he told Moses to number the people. But it seems to indicate God did not want his leaders to number the people probably because they would be lifted up with pride. It's easy for us when we start to excel in an area of our life to push aside those that have helped us, those that have encouraged us, those that have gifted us. And may I remind you that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So when we start to think we're something we're not, it's a bad place to be in. There's a caution there. We ought to stay humble. We ought to keep ourselves from pride. So David, knowing that God is not interested in his leaders numbering the people, he tells Joab, from Dan even to Beersheba, I want you to number the people. Joab doesn't want to do it. You can say what you will about Joab, but Joab here kind of stands up for what's right. Look at verse number four. Notwithstanding. So Joab says, no, I don't want to do it, but the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So number one, I see the disobedience of the king. Number two, I call this the disturbance of the king. Look at verse number nine. <clears throat> So Joab goes out, it says in verse 9, Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel, get the number, 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. 
and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. You tally that up, you come up with 1.3 million people. That's a sizable army. That's something. I'll say it this way. It's something to be proud of. But verse 10 is interesting. And David's heart smote him. It does not mean that he had a heart attack. Let's continue reading. After that he had numbered the people, and David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now let's stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. And I'm careful how I say this. All David did was number the people. We don't see a Bathsheba moment. We don't see what we consider wicked sin. We see the disobedience. He comes to understand that my disobedience is wrong. And I just love the fact, and let me encourage you today, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you, be thankful. The Bible says David did wrong and his heart smote him. He realized that I did something wrong. I want to encourage us when the Holy Spirit convicts us to be thankful that he does. To to where when we're doing wrong, the Holy Spirit of God just kind of pricks our heart and pricks our conscience and says, hey, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. Be thankful when you're sitting in a service and God speaks to you. Whether you come to an altar or from your pew, you get right with God. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. David's heart smites him for numbering the people. Uh, Let me ask you this. When was the last time your heart smote you? It's really easy for us adults and parents to hammer the disobedience of our children. I'm good at it. But how many times do I disobey God and just let it go? Have we gotten too big to realize we can still be disobedient to God as well? So we see the disturbance. He's disturbed. I think it would be a good idea to get some, a good dose of the Holy Spirit smiting of our hearts again. Getting back to be convicted. Number three. I see the decision of the king. So David's heart smites in verse number 11. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So I got the couple of the cultist boys down here. One sleeping already. I got him down there. And so let's just say uh, one of the boys did, did wrong. And uh, Mr. Cultus confronts him. He says, you did wrong. And he says, I'm going to give you a choice of your punishment. I, I think I know what punishment they get. But let's just say he says, I'm going to offer you three things that you get punished. That's kind of what happens. Uh, David... Uh, The the prophet comes and says, all right, God's going to give you three choices for your punishment. And so here are the choices. He says, I'm going to give you seven years of famine. That's one of the choices. Three months of the enemies of of Israel pursuing you and overcoming you. Or three days of famine. Now I stop and think if, if there was a boy making this decision and he heard seven years of famine, most of them can't go seven minutes without eating. So right now that's going to be off the list. But truth is, David looks, and let's, let's, let's read the text. He says this in uh, verse number 14. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait, or I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. 
So David looks and says, I for sure don't want the seven years of famine. I really don't want God's testimony to be maligned saying that the enemies of God were greater than our people. So what we're going to do is I'll take the three days of falling into the hands of the Lord. And I love that little phrase in there. Who can tell if God will be merciful? Can I stop just for a second? I hope that you are thankful for the mercy of God. And I stop and think, 15, 16, 17 years old, this guy right here was not on a good path. But God stepped in. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, I tell you what, I'm so thankful, so thankful for the mercy of God. Don't be afraid to fall in the hands of God knowing that he is merciful and forgiving and full of compassion. It doesn't matter, Justin, I just saw you. It doesn't matter what you do or what you have done. God is always merciful. Amen and amen. So David chooses three days. Now, it's interesting to note, I don't think anywhere in the scriptures, again, do we see that someone got to choose the consequences for their sin. We know this. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says what? For the wages of sin is... We understand that there are consequences for our sin. But this is the only time, somebody can check me if I'm wrong, I see the only time here is when God says, you get to choose the consequences for your sin. May I say this, we ought to be fearful of sin and the consequences that it can bring. I hope we hate sin. The scriptures say, ye that love the Lord, hate evil, despise it. How is it that we can be comfortable in the presence of sin? We ought to hate sin. And it goes so far as David actually hating his disobedience. Hmm. But let's look here. Verse 15. This blew my mind and has blown my mind every time I read this text. So the Lord, this three-day pestilence, this three-day plague, the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from morning even to the time appointed. Now get this. And there died of the people, here's that phrase again, from Dan even to Beersheba. Look at that number. Wow. 70,000 men. You know, God has a way of taking our pride well, I have 1.3 million. God has a quick way in just three short days to whittle that number down pretty fast. You can choose your sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences. You might say, well, I'm comfortable playing around looking at this, or I'm comfortable sneaking around doing this, or I'm comfortable doing this, and nobody knows. You can choose the sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences. How many families were wrecked by sorrow because one man's disobedience? Can I say this? There is power in the effects of disobedience. But can I be encouraging? There's power in the effects of obedience. Listen to these verses. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're talking there about the first Adam in Genesis. 
Look at seven verses later, or listen, seven verses later, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But I love the last part. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There's power in disobedience, but there's also power in obedience. We have to sit back, oh man, I messed up, and my life is this, and my... You're going to have to reap what you sow, I understand that, but you also, on a positive light, will reap what you sow when you give in the offering, when you pass out a track, when you serve in the ministry. It doesn't have to always be negative. You can sow positively, and you can also reap positively. Amen! But the decision of the king, he had to make a choice based on his sin. Number four, and lastly, well, this is really our main part of the message. I call this the devotion of the king. Verse number 18. And Gad, so this is David's seer or David's prophet, came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. I love verse 19. It kind of gets lost in this text. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. You know what? Sad to say, 70,000 men were lost because of his disobedience. I think here we see David learned his lesson. When the prophet of God says, hey, I want you to go up and rear an altar, David says, yes, sir. It would be a good thing if sometimes we, we maybe we're going through our, our situations and our struggles. You say, you know what, I blew it here, and I blew it here, and I blew it here, and I messed up, and now my family's this and that, and whatever the situation is. But there comes a point when you hear this book, and you sit in church, and God says, do this, and God says, do that. You can stop and say, you know what, I blew it here, but I don't have to blow it again. I can obey the second time. Amen. He gets a second chance. I'm thankful for second chances. Verse number 20. And Arana looked. So, so David's going to this place called the threshing floor of Arana. Arana, the owner of this place, looks. And he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arana said, Wherefore, why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things that Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the Lord, The Lord thy God accept thee. So what's happening is David's coming and this man, one of his uh, citizens of his kingdom, comes and says, You can have the threshing floor. You can have the oxen. You can have all the instruments. You're my king. You deserve it. Here you go. Let's look at the next verse. And the king said unto Arana, Nay or no, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings Look at the last part of the text. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. What we see in this portion is I see a king getting right with God. 
It is a wonderful thing to get back right in a right relationship with Almighty God. I don't know about some of you, but there have been times my wife and I get a little off kilter. And what, what you do? You do the silent treatment. <laughs> Show her. I ain't talking to her. That goes over really well. And she's like, oh, I ain't cooking for him. <laughs> Notice, I'm slim and trim. <laughs> And, and what happens is there comes a point where somebody's got to rise up and say, this isn't working, this isn't good, our relationship is not right, and you get things back together, and the relationship is sweeter. Can I say, don't go on and on, not walking in a right relationship with God. David has to do something. The prophet comes and says, rear an altar. Now, we talk a lot of times about these stairs down here. And I think people, sometimes I wonder if people that have never really been in church and they're standing up and saying, now when we're done, afterwards you go to the altar and they're like, what are they talking about? We understand Old Testament altars, it was a place of, help me out, as a place of sacrifice. It was, my understanding, pretty ugly business. If you can imagine the priest, day after day, killing and slaughtering the animals and that grease and the smell of the smoke upon them and the blood, no doubt, and they come home and I can just imagine the priest's wife said, oh, here we go again, and, and those robes being just... But the point is, when they came to a sacrifice, it was something kind of grisly business, if you will. There was death there. There was a presentation. There was something saying, I'm giving this up. Because of my sin. We kind of want this, okay, God, I'm sorry. And everything ought to be okay. Now, I'm very thankful if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I'll say this, if we're going to get right with God, sometimes an altar has to get involved. Sometimes you have to stop and say, I'm not going to just go off of somebody's coattails. I'm going to actually pay a cost. I'm going to sacrifice just a little bit to show God I am serious about my relationship with him. How is your relationship with the Lord? Are you right with him? Have you just been pretty comfortable in your disobedience in whatever realm the Lord might be speaking to your heart about? Has the word of God and the spirit of God smote your heart? So, oh man, I need to do this and I need to do this. And I, but, but just let me remind you, your sin does not just affect you. I don't know how many families were wrecked how many families had sorrow come because one king, for whatever reason, wanted to see how many people he had in his kingdom? To get right includes an altar. To get right includes sacrifice. And be honest with me, probably not a lot of us understand what sacrifice really is. Oh man, I had to get a 2014 instead of a 2019. <laughs> I don't know, but we really don't understand what sacrifice is. And there's a cost. I, I love, I love the bus ministry. And a couple of weeks ago, we were out, and I think it was our Thanksgiving dinner day, and we had a little bit of situation in the home. And I went in; we had just had our Thanksgiving dinner, and I was getting screamed at and cussed at by somebody. And I, and I had the thought, "What am I doing?" I kind of got in the flesh a little bit. Sorry. But I said, do you realize I just spent $100 on your kid to feed him today? Not a good thing to do, but I got in the flesh a little bit. 
and we kind of argued a little bit. And the Holy Spirit of God convicted me and said, you're not doing it just for them, you're doing it for me. And I understand this, when you serve the Lord, you're going to get criticized. Sometimes the favor of the world has to be put aside because your focus is on Him, not on the things of the world. You're going to push aside maybe some of the things that you desire and the things that you want because if you're going to live a life for Christ, it's going to cost you something. Someone said it this way, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Oh, I want to have a large bus route. You know what that means? I'm probably not going to be able to just stay at home and and I'm not knocking prayer, but I, I probably need to leave my house and go out to Gary and hit Marshalltown and Stateside and all these places that I'm just learning about, and I gotta go knock doors and I gotta go talk to people and I gotta have some bad days and I gotta put extra time out during the week and I have to pray and I have to plan stories and I gotta put more in my envelopes for treats, understanding that if I'm going to minister, if I want to have something productive, if you will, it's going to cost something. I'm very thankful for many people that sit here that put hours of prayer and, and visitation and soul winning and teaching and on and on, it would be pretty easy for us to come to church and do nothing, would it not? But I think we have a church here, and I'm thankful for people that says, you know what, if I'm going to serve the Lord, if I'm going to live for Christ, I'm willing to count the cost. So I ask you this, how much... Is Jesus worth to you? That's a good question. We've got Christmas offering. I think our goal is 24000 How much are you willing to throw in the plate for the Lord Jesus Christ? We can go down the list. We have to be willing to count the cost. Really, it boils down to this. He's first. If he's first, guess what? Nothing else really matters because it's all about him. It's Christmas, not Xmas, because it's all about him. So therefore, if there's a need in our church, I should be willing to say, you know what? I mean, I have it. We'll figure it out because it's all about him. I'm willing to count the cost. We understand that in the real world with sports, music, your job. You got to put hours and I understand it. But David says, I'm not going to sacrifice for the Lord unless, it cost, if it costs me nothing, I'm not going to do it. I want to make sure I'm counting the cost. Pretty simple challenge for us today. But are you willing to count the cost? Let's pray. Many want the comfortable Christian life. Very few want the costly Christian life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know everyone here, but I don't want to not finish this service without asking a question as we began at the beginning. How many would say, Brother Ramos, I've got to be honest with you, I don't even know about salvation. You mentioned about the importance and the Wonderful gift of salvation. It's free. I, I'm not even sure that if I were to die today, 
I go to heaven. And, and, and my friends, let me, let me remind you, it's free. Jesus Christ did all the work. God the Father sent his son to take away your sins and mine. But maybe you're not super aware of how you can accept that gift, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And you say, I'm just not sure, Brother Amos. Would you pray for this, me this morning by lifting my hand up? I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Uh, I'm not really sure about salvation, that free gift of being able to go to heaven. Is there anybody in the auditorium today that would say, would you, by lifting up my hand, would you pray for me? Maybe I can get some direction on how I can know for sure I'm going to heaven. Anybody at all? I can see your hand. Let's take just a moment. I see one hand. Thank you. You can put that down. Anybody else? God bless you. All right, so the majority in here are Christians. I, I, I have no reason to doubt that. But how many would say, I needed that today? The Lord kind of maybe smote my heart, as the text said, or convicted my heart, and says, you know what, you're, just, you're, not, you're not counting the cost. You just kind of want the comfortable, easy, casual Christian life. But through God's word and through the simple story of David, he said, God spoke to my heart. I'm willing, or I'd like to start counting the cost. Could I pray for you if you said that's me by lifting up your hand? God bless you. Several hands. Praise the Lord. God bless you. What we'll do is I'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll stand to our feet. I'll have the instruments play. And if the Lord has dealt with your heart about salvation, we have a couple of men right down front. Just say, hey, I, I need to know more about Christ. I need to know more about heaven. Just catch them. We'll get somebody and take you out and take the Bible and show you from God's word how today you can know you're going to heaven. For others that raise their hand, just, just maybe at an altar. David had to rear up an altar. Maybe at an altar today you might say, you know what, I'm going to count the cost. I want to start living the true Christian life. Lord, I don't know hearts today. It's really not my business what's in people's hearts, but I pray that as you have laid this message on my heart for today, that some have assented to the fact that you dealt with their hearts this morning. They raised their hand. I'd like to pray for them. I'm asking that you might help them to do whatever business necessary. It's easy to say I need to change. It's easy to say I need to do better. But there comes a point where we have to step out and do something. We have to count the cost. And I pray that you'd use this service today to encourage all of our hearts this morning and say, I can do more. I ask that you bless this time of invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand?